Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss Exploits Leave Me in Low Spirits, Spectre is Alive and Well. Next up, The Element of Surprise, Hafnium and O-Days. Finally, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 78, recorded on March 8th, 2021. I'm your co-host, Kelsey. Let's let this pun, it's course, LaBelle. With me is co-host Chad, having a spectacular meltdown Anderson. And last, but not least, Tim, deserialized this punk, Helming. Welcome. Hi, Thank you for having me back, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> You're always welcome here. Oh, thank you. That would be really awkward if I wasn't welcome at the old, like the podcast that I hosted. That, that would started. be <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty rough. Thank you guys for keeping the ship in a tip-top shape with good old Tay Tay these last few weeks. Those were fantastic episodes. Tay Tay, always like having him on. Shout out Absolutely. to Tay Tay. Oh boy. Well, it's been it's been a f- Busy week, per usual, so we should jump right into the shenanigans, shall we? Let's jump. Let's jump. (laughs) All right, so our first article of the week is Exploits Leave Me in Low Spirits. So working exploits targeting Linux and Windows systems not patched against a three-year-old vulnerability dubbed Spectre was found by security researcher Julien Voisin on VirusTotal. Um... So Tad, Tad, Chad, <laughs> taking a step back, um, I, when I was gone, Chad named himself Tad. So this has all been very confusing. Um, that would actually be very confusing if you were a Tad. Like you are at your core Tad's foil, I would say. Would you agree w- with that statement? Is does Tad still have an H in it, but the H is silent? Silent, or is, is it Tad? <laughs> it's science, <laughs> like the L and silent. <laughs> yeah. None of us can speak today. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, definitely. I mean, and they're probably from Chad and their yeah. name's Tad, but they don't say the C. Might be a that's, dad. That, there, there you go. All yeah. of their jokes would be dad jokes. Yeah, that's a rad. <laughs> Anywho, Chad slash Tad, taking a step back, what is this? It's hard for me when I see an Ari like this, especially when you have a researcher named Julien Voisin not to use like spectre like i want you, you know you want to use like real <laughs> get the the phlegm in there uh, but i I'll, I'll i won't do that more than that one time because it'd be a lie for me to say i would not do it <laughs> but this spectre vulnerability what what is this give us a little uh, history lesson yeah um so i'm really tempted now to do it in like some sort of uh french accent but just know that um, chad is stroking a white cat as he does yeah. all of this. i always assume yeah. he is frankly <laughs> That's how I picture him doing everything. Just um, I hate cats, but yeah, other than that. <laughs> but for but for the vibe, you would pet a white cat, I think. Yeah, I would. Look. I you know maybe like yeah, maybe I could fake it with a white pomeranian or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> Halloween costume for a pomeranian. <laughs> yeah. Um. 
Yeah, so Spectre is um, it's a vulnerability that's been around for a while and it affects modern processors uh, that do what's called speculative branch execution. Uh, this is a feature that speeds up execution on processors by uh, guessing which way um, things are going to go. There's like, you know, kind of speculative pre-processing going on. Um, and kind of the easiest way to describe that is what happens is during that pre-processing, um, it's trying to predict what the user will want next, essentially, right? And so private data then is sometimes taken and loaded into the processor's cache. Um, when there is a misprediction, um, right, that data is sitting in cache and can be accessed uh, with what's known as a side channel attack. Um, so, and that's mixed with some specific timing. So you can kind of see something here where someone will force um, data to continually get loaded in the cache and they'll keep trying to access that data from the cache until they get it. So it takes specific timing. You know, it's kind of like a, um, I guess a little bit like an Indiana Jones idle swap sort of thing going on. But uh, so this Spectre vulnerability came out with a whole host of other vulnerabilities a while ago um, that exploit the very nature of how these processors work. Um, the other big one was called Meltdown. Um, and they all kind of involve some sort of, um, you know, timing attack or prediction um, exploitation, that sort of thing. So the problem here with fixing this for Intel back in the day, um, I guess 2018 seems forever ago now, uh, was that not doing predictive execution drastically slows down their processors. Um, and since the attacks required running malicious code locally, um, a lot of people didn't even bother to apply these microcode updates that came out from Intel. That um, I believe the update just disabled speculative execution altogether. Anyways, um, however, these attacks have matured since um, they first came out, and um, a number of them can work remotely, right? Um, they don't require attacker-controlled malicious code, um, and now we're seeing even more and more refinements as uh, with this exploit that popped up on VirusTotal. I'd like to imagine threat actors, kind of like a Dragon Ball Z Pokemon situation where they'd be like, side channel, attack! And then the thing happens. Yeah, well, like you know that. what... With this, uh, you know, you kind of have to keep trying it. So it's like side channel is not very effective. Side channel is not very effective. And then eventually it works. Uh, that's a real deep Pokemon joke for anybody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this case. <laughs> Let's let Chad sit in this moment. Yeah. That's... Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so, so how did Julien Voisin come across this vulnerability? Um, yeah, so these these kinds of vulnerabilities have kind of been kicked around since the early 2000s. There's some research, I think, from 2001, 2002, um, from a researcher that was kind of like positing that this could be done. Um, and I think they were even able to steal some uh, cryptography keys that way. So people have seen this in a problem and how these processors were designed and worked, um, but it took some serious technical chops to perform the attack. Um, so it's just kind of left around as a problem um, out there. And the improvement in speed was seen as a big boon for processor manufacturers, right? So, um, you know, it wasn't uh, necessarily seen as a big problem, but with the advent of Spectre and more reliable vulner or more reliable exploits for this, um, we have a you know bigger, bigger problem. So Julian, though, I believe, uh, found this exploit um, for Spectre on VirusTotal. On good old virus total. Mm -hmm. There you go. Well, so then how can nefarious folks exploit what um, our friend Julian found? 
Yeah, it seems to be pretty easy. Um, I thought around with it a little bit. Uh, the exploit that crumped, cropped up on VirusTotal um, reliably will dump any file within a few minutes. So uh, by default, it goes for the Etsy shadow file, which on um, Linux is where the passwords are stored um, and you, you, well, the password hashes rather. Uh, so it continuously tries to load um, a file like I was talking about, right? And then tries to grab it um, from the cache. Uh, that's the timing bit, right? So um, basically, yeah, this anyone who's looking to exploit this um, can just go ahead and like get all the timing magic worked out by using this exploit. It's pretty easy to use. So another thing, and I, I haven't really put a pin in this yet, but you know, there's a canvas is definitely a part of the conversation here too, which sounds like a, a pen testing tool that exists. And this isn't the first time we've seen pen testing tools leaked on the interwebs. Um, and this time it sounds like the source code, if I'm remembering right, for Canvas made its rounds. So what can you tell us about this tool and how does this really intersect with this other conversation we're having about Spectre? Yeah, so uh, Canvas is a tool from Immunity um, Sec that's an automated pen testing tool. And yeah, the code did get leaked. Um, it's basically, you can think of it as a souped up automated metasploit, but written in Python. And the code's, the code's really good, actually. Code quality is great. Um, props to whoever uh, uh, has been working on Canvas. Um, uh, you know, it was super easy to read and, and go through, but uh, sorry also that your code's all leaked online. Um, but uh, a lot of the exploits that are in Canvas were leaked this last week as well with all that other code, right? Um, so basically, the way this tool works is um, it's for, you know, penetration testers uh, that you just point it at a system, say go and wait for it to deliver root to you, right? And so it has a number of um, tools that it, uh, you know, or exploits rather that it runs um, and tries to achieve that. So it, it's kind of a skiddy dream, right, to have another tool come out like this um, with a full source code and not have to, you know, have it be behind some sort of gate where you'd have to pay for it. Um, that's kind of like when Cobalt Strike source code was leaked for Beacon, right? And now we see that as a C2 everywhere. So it's a very robust tool um, and it, it's floating around. And with that comes all these new exploits that are more reliable. Oh boy. Yeah, a little bittersweet there on like your code's great, but everybody has it now. Yeah. Maybe. Hopefully, uh, uh, you know, it just spawns an open source project um, and we can, you know, write some better detections for the exploits that are in there. Uh, that's kind of the, the ideal thing for um, this. For sure. And I just have a few more questions for you, Chad or Tad. And one of the main ones is, you know, how do you ensure that your organization isn't exposed to this vulnerability that we're talking about here, good old Spectre? Yeah, so, uh, you know, you can buy newer processors where this is presumably fixed or processors that, you know, aren't doing the speculative execution that's uh, insecure. You can apply the microcode updates um, for processors that do have this problem. Uh, there are a few situations where the exploit doesn't work, um, but I believe some people have already published workarounds for that. Like there's the um, uh, SMAP problem that was mentioned in Wasson's uh, blog post. Um, but if you're in the cloud, most providers already applied updates a long time ago. Uh, when Spectre first came out, uh, it was like all hands on deck for AWS. So they they updated all of their stuff. So um, yeah, it's, it's pretty much just buy new processors or um, update with the microcode. Excellent. And you know, to wrap this all up, our classic question we get into before these hoodie ratings is, you know, what would happen if a threat actor were to take advantage of this vulnerability? What is the impact? How, how bad is this, relatively speaking? 
Yeah, I think, you know, basically any file can be read here. Um, you know, password files, encryption keys being the primary target. Um, the exploits uh, doesn't have its, like the, the exploit that was pushed on to VirusTotal is missing its um, help function. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious, like how to use the thing. So, um, I think anyone can go ahead and exploit it with this, uh, is vulnerability existed before, um, took some technical chops. Um, but now with this skiddy friendly exploit, I think we'll probably see it make its round into some, uh, malware, but hopefully most people, uh, you know, are updated. Um, and, um, you know, this isn't really going to affect them. Um, but we'll see <laughs> at least most people in the, you know, server realm, right? Oh, the server realm. Yeah, I think of all the all the companies that are like running, um, uh, you know, their own hardware. I hope have uh, updated at this point, but likely not. <laughs> <laughs> well, with all of this in mind, let's get our to our hoodie rating. And just as a quick reminder to our audience, this is from zero to ten hoodies. We'll play off the cliche of the hoodie hacker, if you will. Um, ten is extremely bad, and zero or one um, typically are more playful articles. Um, so, Tim, I'm going to start with you and ask for your hoodie rating here. Four. Oh, well, wait, you want to that. go into more, uh, <laughs> <laughs> more detail? I thought you were golfing. Must show your work. Oh, well right. done, Chad. Wow, that was a pun. Look at you go. The the uh, difference is that when it's golf, you have to you have to shout. You have to shout for because if you just sort of say it like I did it won't stop somebody from getting clocked on the head by your ball. So there has to be uh, some shame in your shout too. Cause like, let's be honest about the situation at hand. When that's one true. Must yell yeah. Them. It's a little bit, it, it, you're feeling the shame, not that you're shaming somebody else. Yes. Exactly. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Ouch. Yeah. Sorry. That was, that was a terrible hit. Uh, <laughs> I think um, just as Chad said, because a lot of folks probably are uh, already, uh, updated against this there the impact is not terribly high uh it's it's nasty that you can um that it's so much easier to exploit it um with these latest uh tools but um but i think it's mitigated by the the reach so you know for some like for some organizations this is probably like an eight but um for some it's it's a zero so uh, I'm going to put it at four. Wonderful. And Chad, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to keep it pretty low as well. You know, I'll probably do, I'll say, I'll say four as well, just because, um, yeah, it's, it's a problem. It's certainly easier to exploit than it, um, ever has been, uh, you know, and these kind of, I think, there's like version five of the original Spectre exploit or something now. And there's NetSpectre, which is, uh, you know, you can, you can run, um, remotely. Um, there's a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of our already mature, um, things out there for this. And hopefully most people are patched, but, um, yeah, this one's just interesting because it's, um, uh, it was clean and new. Clean and new. It's kind of yeah. like what you two are saying. Hopefully people are updating, but if you're not the kind of org that's updating, that's a that's a whole new set of problems, potentially, um, to work on. But let's let's venture into our next article of the day, which is the element of surprise. 
So Microsoft has detected multiple zero-day exploits being used to attack on-premises versions of Microsoft Exchange Server in limited and targeted attacks. So, ah, Tim, nothing like a good old O-day. And before I ask you some questions or the many reasons folks need to update, <laughs> as we just talked about, um, let's, you know, hold off even on talking about the vulnerabilities themselves and cover what our audience should know about Hafnium. And also correct me if I'm not saying that correctly. Well, I don't know if you're, uh, if you're saying it wrong, so am I. So <laughs> yeah. So the name is uh, from Microsoft's convention of naming threat actor groups after elements. And this particular group they attribute to China. Uh, the victimology seems to be mainly uh, American. Um, and they have hit a variety of different industries and sectors. Their goal seems to be data exfil. Um, according to Microsoft, they're a pretty sophisticated group. And uh, this activity where they're exploiting these vulnerabilities that we're going to talk about here is very typical half name behavior because they tend to target uh, public facing servers. That's been their their specialty. And so then if they're successful, they tend to exfiltrate the data that they uh, are interested in um, to sites like Mega. Now, if they targeted both private and public facing servers, I think we at that point we should call them Folium. Uh, right, right. Personally. Yeah. No, they're just going after the, yeah. Microsoft got it right <laughs> here, folks. Is it Folium so, or Holium? Oh, gosh. Got to think about that one. Got to process Pause to that. contemplate. <laughs> we like to leave our audience with something to think about at the end of every episode. I think that's a good thing to simmer on. Um, but Tim, with this in mind, can you walk through, now that we've gone over half name a bit, those four vulnerabilities that were outlined by Microsoft? Yeah. And so the important thing to keep in mind about these vulnerabilities is they involve unauthenticated remote code execution. And that is why if you were looking at InfoSec Twitter over the last week, um, you saw the, the term or the, the phrase cancel the weekend uh, over and over again, um, because, you know, unauthenticated RCE is a big deal. I hope this uh, I hope that not too many people had their weekends canceled, but yeah, this is this is a big deal, and there's there's speculation about how many orgs might be affected by this that goes into the hundreds of thousands. Uh, so, so that is uh, a big deal. Um, and having said that, uh, the other little setup I'll do before I go into the vulns themselves is this affects on-site exchange only. You mentioned that in the intro. Uh, which, of course, that used to be all exchange, but now a lot of companies are using 0365. So the proportion of businesses that are affected by this is less than 100%, but it's still a lot. Um, okay, having said all of that, the vulnerabilities are, so one of them is a server-side request forgery vulnerability. And what that means is the attacker can send arbitrary HTTP requests and they can authenticate to the exchange server. Um, since I mentioned that these are unauthenticated ODAs, that means the attacker doesn't have to have legitimate uh, creds in order to be able to do this. I mean, if they had stolen credentials, great, they can get into the exchange server, but um, they wouldn't, uh, uh, they wouldn't have, they don't have to have that because of this vulnerability. So, um, so that's the first one. Then we've got a uh, insecure deserialization vulnerability. So real briefly, serialization 
is the process that converts objects into a byte stream like you have to do if you're sending it over a network and deserialization, as you might guess, is the uh, reversing that. So reconstructing the object from the byte stream. Insecure deserialization is when user controllable data is deserialized by a website. You're, you're not supposed to do that. Um, but it's not all of that un, it's not all that uncommon. And that allows a way for an attacker to insert objects into that stream. Um, and in the case of this exchange vulnerability, it allows the attacker to run code as system, which is basically root. That's not a good thing. Um, and then there are two other vulnerabilities that are both described in Microsoft's uh, advisory. They're described exactly the same way. These are post-authentication arbitrary file write vulnerabilities. And since the first two in this chain let the uh, actor authenticate, clearly by the time they get to these uh, last two uh, vulnerabilities, they've satisfied that requirement to be authenticated so they can write anything they want basically to the server. Wow, Tim, that was <laughs> that was a mouthful. Well done. Thank you for running through all those vulnerabilities. Want me to say it backwards now? Yes, I greatly appreciate that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, then what happens after these attackers exploit the above vulnerabilities? What are we looking at here impact-wise? They crack open their favorite tasty beverage and kick back and, and win, unfortunately. No, I, I think... <laughs> Sadly, they probably do some of that. You know, you see typical establishment of presence kind of stuff. So they install web shells. Um, those facilitate more operations like the, ultimately the data theft that is their, uh, their real goal here. So um, as we're, uh, you know, as we'll keep talking about here, that, that becomes uh, an ongoing potential headache. Uh, this is not going to be a one and done fix up. I am curious, according to Microsoft, were the Hafnium operators able to grab anything else from compromised systems? Well, so what you read about in most of the writing about this is that they've dumped the full contact lists out of exchange, uh, which is certainly uh, bad enough. Um, Plus, you know, a lot of organizations that are running on-site exchange uh, undoubtedly are running other services on the same box. So there's really a wide range of things that they could potentially get their hands on. Um, the backdoors that they're installing here will not necessarily be, in fact, likely won't, they, they won't be removed by the patching itself. So uh, patching is critical, but your work isn't done when you patch because they, if they've established persistence, um, you're going to have to use other means to clean that up. Yes, indeed. And really just building on that last question, what kind of risks are you looking at if you've been, as Chad likes to say, popped? Well, the imagination can kind of run wild here, right? Because we're looking at a well-resourced state-sponsored actor, if uh, Microsoft's to be believed on this, and why not, um, that's established presence on an on-premise server. So, you know, even if you have put the server behind a VPN, which if, if it had been behind a VPN to begin with, like before these vulnerabilities started being exploited, then uh, you wouldn't have had this problem. But if you've done that now, close the door after the, the horse's in the barn in this case, but uh, 
that metaphor doesn't really work here. Anyway, you've got this risk that they are continuing to carry out espionage, exfiltration, and uh, reinforcing their persistence mechanisms. Absolutely. So what and how can organizations determine if they've been compromised? What should folks be looking at? Right. So if they have uh, on-prem exchange that wasn't sitting behind a VPN prior to whenever it was that Hafnium started exploiting these vulnerabilities or anybody else that happened to know about them, that goes back a minimum to January, but very likely, you know, it was prior to January. So if, if that's the timeline, if they had on-prem exchange, they have to assume that they are compromised. But there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff that uh, Microsoft put into their advisory, a bunch of indicators that you can search on. Uh, it's way too numerous to go uh, through in a podcast here. I could read them, but that would be like a filibuster. Um, <laughs> but there's a whole bunch of different logs and events, um, a bunch of file hashes, you know, the kind of, of things that you would expect um, for hunting queries and whatnot. Microsoft does a good job of um, publishing a lot of different ways to hunt for um, uh, exploits of vulnerabilities. And there's, this is no exception here. They, they've got quite a bit in that uh, advisory for you to go hunt on. Yeah, and Tim, that leads really well into the last question I had for you. But I have to admit, you know, it's, do you, do you know why I know it's springtime? Well, no. How do you know that, Kelsey? Because it seems like I'm awfully comfortable here grilling you. Um, just, ah, <laughs> ah, hey, I've just, I noticed Chad is still muted. Always season here. <laughs> Excellent. That's what I wanted. Um, yeah. So, t Tim, as you're doing like fast replies here, you're on the hot seat, but you're killing it. I really appreciate you going into so much depth here, just answering the numerous questions that I have here for our audience. But the last one I have for you is it sounds like Microsoft has partnered with a few other researcher firm or researchers and firms. And how do you feel about their response to this zero day? Yeah. So I'll start off by saying the silver lining to this, as well as the solar winds uh, stuff um, is that there's been very good uh, transparent disclosure um, and it's been timely, um, quick. So Velexity and Dubex shared information with Microsoft and got uh, very well-deserved shout outs from Microsoft in the advisory. And I definitely recommend reading the Velexity blog on this. It's detailed um, and it's a good compliment to the write-up write -up from Microsoft. But you know, we're seeing a lot of really good collaboration in the industry. It's to be commended. We're seeing, um, I think less of the kind of throwing uh, throwing vendors and other other companies under the bus, um, and that kind of cooperation is critical because um, you know there's just uh, there's too much at stake um, for uh, for the industry not to be coming together the way they are. So this is this is another really good example of that. Absolutely, love love me some silver lining. Um... There's a playbook I, for that, isn't there? Wow. Well, pop culture, Tim. I'm impressed. <laughs> well, should we play our fun game now that we've gone through all of our articles for the week? Thank you both for digging in and providing that analysis. Everybody loves fun games. Fun games. All right. Well, I think. What about hoodie audience... rating? Oh, my gosh. You're right. We can't have Just fun until we rate things. 
I know I'm off my game. I was away for two weeks, and I'm just not showing up for the team. Let's do let's do the hoodie rating. Let's be in Flavor Town. You're <laughs> now that I'm in the land of corn. I'm just um, the same. Yeah, you know we're almost exactly 4,500 miles apart um, with me in the islands and you in Columbus. Oh, but um, makes me so happy that you Googled that. That makes me feel very loved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to know the exact distance of, you know, how this will be the furthest away I've ever been from your puns. There's light uh, speed, the speed of sound and the speed of puns. And now yeah. you know how long it takes for the pun to get to you. And it's still pretty quick, I'd like to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I am going to go with uh, 10 out of 10 on this. Uh, if you have an exchange server that's exposed to the Internet. Um, cause this is, uh, pretty worrisome, uh, web shells everywhere and, um, coming out of this and yeah, uh, I web feel shells. really bad for anyone. Yeah. What's the idea China dropper or is that what China chopper, whatever the web shell is that they're dropping when they exploit these. Um, but yeah, this is a bad day for a lot of people in IR. Um, good luck to you for folks. Um, Yeah. It's well, why the weekend was canceled. Yeah. I hope you have a good hoodie to put on. A whole a whole ten out of ten warm hoodie. Oh. After Tim's silver lining and all, and Tim with with the analysis you did, what would you rate this at? Uh I am in agreement with Chad on this. This I mean it really it doesn't get a lot worse than this one. Um and by the way, you know, we're talking about hafnium, but it's you've got to assume that they're not the only ones that are exploiting this thing uh, as well. So, um, so yeah, this is this is pretty serious, and we don't know yet what all the fallout is going to be because uh, because they undoubtedly do have persistence on some of these networks. There are, you know, certainly um, companies that have have patched and probably still have backdoors in place that they may or may not know about. So yeah, it's, this one's a big one. Oh boy. Well, okay. Now that we've brought the, um, positivity down again, should, should we now do the fun game? Do I have that right, Chad? I'm ready for fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Kelsey, let's do the fun. game. Let's do the fun game. Okay. So this is two truths and a lie. Um, same as, same as it's always been, except rather than talking same about ourselves. Same as it ever was. As same as it ever was. Um, we're, you know, rather than talking about ourselves, we actually have three article titles that are going to be read by one of us hosts, and two of us will try to guess which one is the lie. Wait, I, I had prepared for these to be about that one killer kegger in 87. No, <laughs> that's not what we're... That's, oh, that's next episode. Infosec- you're, you're thinking okay. about 79. We're, we're at it. 78, so. Okay, okay. Cool. <laughs> and I'm, all right, I'll do the InfoSec ones then. Are you ready? Bow, bow, bow. Absolutely. Hit us, okay. Tim. All right, here it comes. So story number one, uh, a Chicago hospital was, guess what, hit by ransomware, but in an odd twist, uh, because there was a power outage that hit right after that, it sort of didn't matter because they had to revert everything to pencil and paper anyway. So... Uh, we'll see if there are follow-up stories on what they do when the lights came back on. Story number two is about when the cure is worse than the disease, where a snort flaw 
enables denial of service against multiple Cisco devices. Story number three, back to ransomware, where unfortunately a ransomware education program can be used as, do you want to guess what? Ransomware. An infection vector. <laughs> so there you have it, folks. Oh, my. Those are good, Tim. No, they're bad. They're terrible. I mean, they're terrible. Bad but things they're, are happening. They're, you're good at knowing the bad things that are likely to happen. <laughs> hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna say the first one is a lie, just purely on the that was the most detailed, and that's that's one of the things to say about lying, right? Details. Uh, it can be a tell. Hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the first one as well because I believe that uh, you know a hospital would not go to pencil and paper; they would use pen and paper. Um, <laughs> so I think that is an absolute lie. <laughs> Why would you? Yeah, you wouldn't want to go to the hospital. As a matter of fact, that that wrote it in pencil is that a, is that saying something about their confidence in what they're doing? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they they might go and erase your chart later. Add something else. Well, you guys, are you ready? Bow bow. Sure. You're both right. Yes. Wow, Tim, that was well some done. good lying, though. I will say because that was you had the little laugh in there and everything. Like I was like I was very much questioning myself. Yeah. You're a good liar, Tim, but not good enough. <laughs> I don't I I don't know what what to say whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I know that's kind of nice. That's a, it's kind of a compliment. You no, know, we just have a lot of trust in you and we sorry that we have to put you in the situation where you have to lie to us. It's it's, it's hard, Tim. It's yes, hard. I it's it goes against my nature. I really like to tell you guys the truth. <laughs> Oh boy. Well, hey, thank you too for having me back. Thanks for covering. Well, you know, Chad sort of mentioned I was moving across the country here, um, to the the good old Midwest. So um looking forward to being back here next week. We actually have ac very likely in the next few weeks we have a special episode coming with a, a guest. So keep an eye out, keep your ears out for that. We love guests. We do. Big fan of guests. We like hearing them lie to us instead of having to lie to each other. It's a nice break for it's all true. of us emotionally. New, new liars. <laughs> new liars. <laughs> Spreading lying throughout the world. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you two so much. We look forward to having you next week on Breaking Badness. And everybody, just remember, don't drink and click. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter, at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>